0: Well, good morning, White Oak, and welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm the campus pastor here, and it is so good to be back with you today. I kind of feel like that first service, the 9 o'clock service that we were in, I was just so maybe nervous about just trying to get back and and, and just be accustomed to what we were doing that uh, that the emotion of it didn't really sit in. But like Aaron, who did our host here, as I sat and worshipped with my family and just looked around the room... I was just caught in the moment of what it means to be back and how long. I mean, did you hear, Nathan? 18 weeks, 18 Sundays since we last gathered together to do this together. And uh, it is really, really good to be here. And, uh, and I don't take that for granted. Um, it is so nice to be back So we're in the midst of this series, and uh, man, I've really loved what we've been doing. I I pray that you've been joining us uh, online as we've been going through this, through COVID. But one of the things that we intentionally really wanted to do was to talk about the words of Jesus, to really focus on Jesus' words in this time as we're going through this. And so in June, Nathan led us through a series um, about redoing uh, some of the things that, uh, that are going on in our life, and we looked at the book of Luke. And here, in this series that we're in right now, we started it back at the beginning of July, it's called, Did He Just Say That?, where we're looking at some of the hard teachings, some of the hard sayings that Jesus has in the book of Matthew. And it's just been really good to kind of lean into Jesus' teachings and try to figure out what is it that he's trying to say to us. I want to repeat something that I said to you in week one of this series, if you caught that online at the beginning of June. Here's what I said. I said, sometimes uh, sometimes what Jesus wants for us is hard to hear. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen. It's up on the screen. Uh, So this is kind of the... uh, a summation of what it is that we're really trying to accomplish in this series, or at least it was for me, that sometimes what Jesus wants for us is hard to hear, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen. Uh, See, Jesus has this way of saying things that that sometimes are difficult for us to hear. Um, My hope for us for today and for the rest of the series is that we would take a deep look into what Jesus has to say and really listen and consider what changes we might need to make in order for our life to closer resemble his what's something that somebody said that caused you to do a double take you know one of those moments where somebody said something and you had to be like did they just say that did he or she really just say that? Has anybody just said something that caught you off guard? Maybe it was hard to hear. Maybe it was uncomfortable. Maybe it wasn't what you wanted to hear. Maybe it was just kind of crazy. So when I, when I was in student ministry, really early on, Katie and I were dating, if that kind of dates back how long we're going, it's like uh, 17 years ago, I took a group of high schoolers on a trip to Boston. Boston. So we're going on a mission trip, and there's like 30 of us. We go to Boston, Massachusetts in the middle of summer for a mission trip, and we roll up in these minivans that uh, that we had rented, and uh, so we, we roll up onto the place where we're going to be staying in this. It is this 100-year-old church in a suburb right outside of downtown Boston. It's three stories tall, and uh, it is in rough shape. And so the guys, as we're unloading, get told that we're going to be staying on the third level of this old church with no air conditioning and just kind of old and, and run down. Later on that day, we have a leaders' meeting where uh, we gather together with this college girl that's kind of running our site, and she starts going through some of the different logistics for the week. Okay, she lets us know that the closest shower that we're going to be able to use is at a YMCA, and it's 30 miles away and that we will get to use it every other day and here's something you need to know about me all right every night before i go to bed i take a shower because i can't sleep without one and if if my room is warm and it's hard for me to sleep i love it to be cold for me to sleep that's just how i am so as she begins to lay out what it is that's going to be our week I had to do a double take. I said, did she just say that? that? That we're going to be working outside all day and that every other day I would get to go take a shower in the middle of the day and that was it? I mean, that was hard for me to hear. Well, What's something that you've heard that's hard for you to hear? Uh, what's something that you've heard that's challenged you out of your comfort zone? Uh, when things don't necessarily Go your way. Here's a truth I want you to understand. The way that we handle situations like this, our attitude in the midst of adversity, it says a lot about who we are. And I'll tell you the truth. When this happened back then, man, I was a complainer. I just had a problem with complaining. And if I'm honest, I really still do. But I've been working hard to be better than I was 17 or 18 years ago. You know, then I was a whiner and I didn't like anything that was going to be difficult or hard in my life. But as a leader, I'm trying to be much better about things like that right now. And as a father, I'm trying to set a good example for when things don't go my way. But my natural tendency is to complain or to whine about anything that might be too difficult or too uncomfortable. Maybe you're that way too. So when Jesus says something hard, when Jesus challenges us to do something that we don't want to do, how do we respond? I want you to think about that. I mean, really think, when you find something in Scripture that Jesus wants you to do, and you know you should do it, but it's not what comes easy for you, it's not what you want to do, how do you respond? In week one of this series, we talked about this idea of don't judge other people. Don't spend all of our time looking at other people's lives and the mistakes that they make when we've got plenty of our own mistakes to worry about. So we have this challenge from Jesus that says, don't judge. How do you handle that if that's something that maybe comes easy for you? Judging others. Last week, Chris did a message about love your enemies. And that's not easy to hear. So what do you do when you're faced with a teaching from Jesus that says those people that are the worst to you, th- those people that you get along with the least, that you just show them love and compassion? Now, what do you do with that when you face that? When, when I think about those things, old me would have complained or whined or just maybe drug my feet. Now I'm trying to listen. Now I'm trying to see the purpose in Jesus' teaching and figure out how I can follow it. So the saying that we started with in this series is true. Sometimes what Jesus wants for us is hard to hear. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen. So today we're in the book of Matthew. Matthew. And if uh, you have your Bible or an app, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew if you want to. This whole series, we've been using the gospel of Matthew as our text. And hopefully what what we think about when we do that is that it gives you an opportunity to explore that book on your own. And so our hard saying that Jesus makes this week is, cut off your hand. A couple things that we need to see here is that, first, Jesus doesn't really mean for us to cut off our hand, right? We kind of understand that. Maybe that comes as uh, no shock to you, but what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is using a literary tool called hyperbole. That's when you say something shocking for your audience's sake to get their attention. And when we study the Bible and it's obvious that somebody's doing something like hyperbole, One of the things that we have to do is we have to say, okay, so if they don't mean that, what do they really mean? What's Jesus really trying to say? And honestly, any time that we study the Bible, any time that we open up the Word of God and we look at the words of Jesus, what we're really trying to do is to understand, what is it that Jesus is trying to say here? What is it that Jesus wants me to see? And I think that that's a great way to approach Scripture all the time, to take a look at a passage and say, here's what Jesus says. What does he mean, and how can I start to live that out, right? So I read the text, I want to try to understand the text, and I want to apply the text. That means I want to try to live out the text. I want to put into practice what it is that Jesus has laid out for me. That's the objective of anybody trying to read and understand anything that's written in Scripture. How do I read it and understand it and begin to live it out? Okay, so Matthew chapter 18. We're in this section of the gospel where Jesus' disciples have begun to ask him who the greatest in the kingdom is. So the kingdom is this idea that Jesus begins to develop within the book of Matthew that uh, is really about Jesus' desires, Jesus' principles, Jesus' kind of uh, priorities. And so Jesus starts to paint this picture of what living in his kingdom looks like. Well, when Jesus' followers hear about a kingdom, they think about a real physical kingdom where Jesus is going to be king. And so they begin to ask Jesus, Jesus, who is the greatest in your kingdom? So it's a pride thing for for Jesus' 12 closest followers. They want to know who the greatest is or who he sees to be the greatest in their kingdom because all of them probably think it's it's one of them they want to know hey is it me but Jesus's answer right Jesus's answer is hey it's children so Jesus's closest associates they want to know hey when you set up your kingdom when you are sitting on your throne right who's going to be the most influential who's going to be the one that races up next to you who's going to be your right hand man and Jesus says children Children are going to be the greatest in my kingdom because of their innocence, because of their faith, right? And this would have come as a shocking thing that Jesus said because children in Jesus' time had no value, right? They, they were just, they, they were a commodity that families had. They had as many as they could because they could help around the farm or they, uh, if they had daughters, they could be used to trade for other livestock as they gave them away in marriage. Children, by Jesus' disciples, were, were held back as they would try to come and approach Jesus and be near him, Jesus' followers saw them as an inconvenience. Jesus' followers saw them as unnecessary, and so they would try to keep them away. But Jesus was always trying to pull them in. And so this is where we find this teaching in this, in this section about Jesus' followers asking him about who the greatest in the kingdom are, and Jesus saying, it's children. Right? And so this leads into this thought that Jesus has about the innocence of children. Where he says that anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin is in big trouble. And then he expands that idea He says, actually, anyone who causes anyone else to sin is in big trouble. And then Jesus makes this bold statement about cutting off and gouging out body parts. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 7-9 through so you can open up your Bible if you've got it there or we're going to pull it up on the screen and so we're going to read it from here it says what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin temptations are inevitable but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting so if your hand or foot causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away it's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. So, as we read here, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So, as we read here, Jesus says, So, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. This is the statement that Jesus makes to his followers. Now, I've got four kids, and my youngest are my two sons. And so during COVID, we've been doing what most of you are doing, is that we've been watching church online at home. And I'll tell you, as somebody who's been in ministry for 20 years, at the very beginning, uh, hear me out, I hate COVID, and I hate that people are sick and suffering from it, but at the very beginning, kind of hitting the reset button and shutting down and just being home or family... And it was kind of nice. It was like, oh, we, you know, doing this from our living room. But soon, I was ready to come back to where we are today. And I'm so grateful that we're here this morning. But as we're watching online service in our living room, I don't know what your experience was like, but I've got two sons who I feel like did pretty well. But there were times when their hands or their feet you know, as they're jockeying for position on the couch or they're trying to make some more room and they're just kind of like using that foot and pushing the other person away or taking their hands and just, you know what I mean, annoying their sibling like they do. If you've got kids or you went through this with us, maybe you experienced that. So, so my boys' hands or their feet, they sometimes get them in trouble and not just during COVID services. I mean, this is typical boy stuff. So what's Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that because my sons' hands and feet cause them problems that they should cut them off? Is Jesus telling them that, uh, that they should get rid of their hands and feet? No, Jesus isn't in favor of mutilating our bodies. So what's he saying? I want you to hold that question. Do you know that this is not the first time that Jesus uses this shocking statement, even in the book of Matthew? He also uses it in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 29 and 30. Look at it with me. He says, uh, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this is located in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We talked a lot about this in week one of this series. So if you missed that, go back and check that out. But the short version is this. It's Jesus' first recorded sermon. And he uses this to set up the foundation of this idea that we were talking about before about the kingdom. Where he talks about all throughout Matthew. As Jesus looks about you know, what really matters to him. And here, in this passage specifically, Jesus is talking about adultery and lust, but the same concept, whether it's the temptation of children or whether it's this idea of adultery and lust, the same thing runs through all of it. If anything causes you to sin, it's better to get rid of it, to cut it off, to lose it, than to lose yourself to hell. And I think that's really at the heart of what Jesus is trying to say with this teaching. This one statement runs through both of these times that jesus used it and it says it says it's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire so he says cut off your hand if it's your hand causing you the problems jesus says then get rid of it it's better to go into heaven with one less hand or one less foot than spend eternity in hell and here's what i want us to see jesus thinks sin is a big deal when we talk about Jesus, we talk a lot about grace and forgiveness and freedom. And we should, because Jesus brings all those things. But sometimes we may get the feeling that sin, Jesus doesn't really think that sin's a big deal. You know, because he paid the price for it, we've been bought and paid for. So, so really, what's it matter if we sin? I want you to think about America for a moment. Man, here in America, we really love the freedoms that we have. But sometimes there's this thought that there are groups of people that from time to time maybe forget about or take for granted how those freedoms came about, right? right? We'll, we'll look sometimes and be like, man, are they forgetting that people had to fight a war, that people, people gave up their life, that people surrendered certain things so that we might be able to have these freedoms that we have? Sometimes we might look at a certain group of people or, or just, just society in general and think, have they forgotten the price that was paid for our freedom? Jesus paid a price for our sin. And just because we as believers and followers of Jesus have been forgiven doesn't give us this freedom just to continue to sin. And that's disrespectful to the price that was paid for that freedom. The Apostle Paul is a follower of Jesus who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And um, in the book of Romans, he says this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that our grace may increase? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know... That all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus thinks sin's a big deal. So much so that he would say that we need to remove anything that causes us to sin. Paul uses the phrase, he says, you have died to sin. So why would you want to live in it any longer. So let me ask you a question. What is it that causes you to sin? I mean, really, really think about that for a second. What's your weakness? What's the place or the thing where you find your greatest temptations? Is it a person? You just can't seem to control yourself when you're with a certain group of people. Is it a hobby? Is it at your phone, or the internet, or social media, or pride, or greed, or lust? What is it that drags you away to dark places? Identifying what it is, what is your weakness, is the first step. Because the hard teaching that Jesus has is to cut it off, to get rid of it. Whatever it is that comes between us and God. Whatever it is that that causes us the temptation, Jesus says, is it a relationship, a job, a sport, a bar, a website? Whatever it is, Jesus says to remove it, to cut it out of our life. Now that's a hard thing to do. Why is it so hard? Because if it was easy, I think that you would have already done it. I would have already stopped, right? Sin is a tricky thing. It begins innocent and fun, right? We we don't think there's any harm in it, but it doesn't take too long for us to find out that it's destructive and it will destroy us. And we see it. We see it in us and we see it in others and we know the damage that it can cause. But by then it's got its hooks in us. It's too hard to give up. It's too hard to walk away. I've shared this thought with you before, but I think it's important to repeat it As humans, we have this hero complex. Every book we read or every movie we watch, we see them through the eyes of the hero or the main character in the story. So in this case, we think only about those who drag us away or maybe who cause us to sin, those places that we would go that would cause us to fall into temptation. But let us not miss this warning that Jesus has at the very beginning of our Matthew 18 passage. Let's look at chapter 18, verse 7. It says, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Let's not lose sight that sometimes we have the capacity to be the tempter. That sometimes we have the ability to lead people astray. Not even all the times intentionally. Intentionally. Here's the thing. I have done things I shouldn't do because I was with the wrong people. I have done things I shouldn't do because I was in the wrong place. A place I knew I shouldn't be in. But what's worse is that I know that I've caused people to do things that they shouldn't do. Because I've been the tempter. That I've taken people to places I know they shouldn't go. Because I've drugged them away. And so in this comes a warning from Jesus that we need to avoid temptation at any cost, that we need to cut it off and keep it away. But we need to know that we also shouldn't be the one that's dragging people into sin because Jesus thinks sin is a big deal. And because of that, we should too. So I want to share some really practical things that I think that we could do to help us avoid sin. The word sin is an ancient archery term, and it means to miss the mark. God has a standard set for us in his word, and sin is anything that misses that target. So the first step is is that we follow Jesus' instructions. The more that we know about Jesus, the more we read his word, the more we know about what he wants for us, the more we live by that, the further from sin we will be. The second thing is, is that we don't love what the world loves. When Jesus starts to set up this idea of his kingdom, he begins to develop this idea about what he loves, what he's passionate about, what are priorities to him. And he sets them in stark contrast to what the world loves and what the world says is important. We need to be careful that we love the things that Jesus loves and that we avoid the things that Jesus says the world loves. We need to remember that Jesus is for us. And this truth rang out to me as we sang the blessing song, our third song in our worship set this morning. Right? That, that he is for us, that he goes with us. Jesus has given us, God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That uncomfortable feeling you have in the midst of sin, that tugging guilt that you have after sin, that is the Holy Spirit. And the more we lean into what God wants for us, the more we lean into the Spirit, the stronger it will be. As a boy, I turned, attended a church camp and they would have us memorize scripture one of the first scriptures I can remember memorizing was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And as we memorized it, it was said to be a tool that we could use to avoid temptation. And it was this passage about the fact that God is with us, that God is for us. Let's look at it here today. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a passage that comes with a promise. That we will never be tempted more than what we can endure. That God will be faithful to us and he will allow a way out. God goes before us. God fights our battles on behalf of us. Jesus' promise is that he is with us. So let's recap. Jesus takes sin very seriously, so seriously that he recommends removing anything that causes us to sin. We've also been challenged to consider the ways that we might bring other people into temptation, sometimes even unknowingly. Whether it's a person or place or a thing, Jesus' hard teaching is to get rid of it, to remove it. And it's not easy to hear. And so we've talked about some of the different ways that we can avoid temptation in our life, that we can avoid sin in our life. We call the book of Matthew and, and others like it that tell the story of Jesus in the Bible, we call them a gospel. And the word gospel means good news. And the good news is that even though we sin, and even though we fail, and even though we fall, Jesus' death pays the price for our sin. That forgiveness and the grace that Jesus brings is good news. But we've also seen today that grace is not a license to continue to sin. We are done with that, we have died to that. Why would we want to live in that any longer? So today's big idea, the thing that I really want you to take away is that eliminating sin has a cost. But the reward is a full life. Getting rid of sin in your life is not easy. Jesus says to cut it off, whether it's a relationship or a place that you visit or a thing that you do, you got to get rid of it. And that's not easy. That's hard, right? Right? But the reward, Jesus says, is a full life found in him, living in his kingdom, under his priorities, where he rules. And so my prayer is that we might consider, we might walk away from here and say, what is it that we need to consider getting rid of? What is it that we need to consider letting go of so that we might be closer to Jesus? This morning, I'm going to pray for you. And as we pray, I just want you to be talking to God about what it is that maybe you need to remove from your life. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Holy Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the ability for us to come back and worship together and be challenged together by your word. God, I pray that we might hear the hard words of Jesus, that we might remove anything that causes us to sin so that we might be closer to the heart of your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.